Hello everyone, this is Karin Takar and welcome to the Zenergy Podcast. Over the past decade, India has done an impressive job of integrating renewable energy into its energy mix. For this Fulbright podcast series, I sought to investigate the enabling factors and potential of India's global leadership in renewable energy with the focus on solar. This Fulbright series is broken down into four seasons. In this season, through conversations with leaders who have been instrumental in developing the Indian renewable energy sector, we will highlight how India has managed to integrate 35 gigawatts of solar in just a span of 10 years. We will also explore what these leaders believe the key challenges to be as this sector further develops. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Vishali Sinha, a founding member of Renew Power and president of the Renew Foundation. Renew Power is the largest renewable energy development company in India, with more than 6 gigawatts of capacity. Ms. Sinha is also a leading proponent for promoting more gender diversity in the renewable energy sector and partners on many initiatives with the UN for this intent. In our conversation, we will explore some of the early inflection points of Renew Power, and I also have included a conversation with Anand Gupta, who led Renew's acquisition efforts for Climate Connect. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Ms. Sinha and Mr. Gupta. seems like Renew is always ahead of the curve and has sort of a culture of innovation. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to understand, I would love to hear your opinion on what differentiates Renew and allows it to innovate in such a way that it is able to remain ahead of the competition. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really a very interesting question. And sometimes I also ask myself this question where, from a time where setting up 100 megawatts seemed like a humongous task to being where we are right now, it almost seems like magic, right? It's just, uh, you know, at that time, just setting up like 50 megawatts seemed like an impossibility. And then not only being able to do it, but to be able to get into solar sector, for example, or the ground-mounted solar business, in 2013-14, around that time, 12-13, we started looking at it, when nothing had happened over the past 20 years, required or 15 years, you know, with the Jawaharlal, Jawaharlal Nehru, you know, solar mission, and a lot of the companies from around the world had made investments and were, you know, parked, watching to see what's going to happen in India. And then, you know, we start preparing. And I remember talking to someone also saying, like, you know, why are we looking at solar? You know, there's just nothing's happened in it for many, many, many years. So what makes you feel things are going to happen? And it's a little bit like, okay, let's test it. Let's throw our, you know, hat in the ring and see how it goes. But as we position that if it takes off, then we are well positioned to do things. So I think a little bit of, I guess, being a visionary, uh, being aware of what's happening, being able to like, I'm sure many other people got into the sector. It's your, I think, ability to build a team, to empower people, to ensure that obviously there's a huge amount of analysis before you do, but there is, I mean, you can do the analytics and everything else, but there's also intuition and, you know, a little bit of the vision which is required to do things. 
ahead of time, right? And I think it becomes a way of life after a point because, you know, so yeah, it's just been, it's been interesting to see that a lot of our decisions worked. And so when a couple of them didn't work, there was a huge amount of trauma amongst people because they were not used to it. You know, they were just used to <laughs> work. And when something didn't happen, they were like, they just were like, really? Is that even a thing? So it just shows that I won't say this. I don't think there's anything called being lucky or not lucky. I mean, we were unlucky in many ways and we just have to keep, we had to keep working at it to make sure that we look lucky after that hard work and that persistence, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, and even like if you look at RED, this whole, the digital initiative which we are looking at, somebody would say that, oh my God, there's so many other challenges, there's so many megawatts to put, do we need to do this? It's kind of, you know, things sometimes seem unnecessary if you're doing them ahead of time. But if you have the conviction, you have the awareness, and you have the vision, and you have the team which, which can do it, and you have the ability to build the right team, I think often most of most most of the times these kind of you know bets which look like funds end up being successful because a lot of thought has been given to these decisions and at renew we've always been doing things a little differently with a lot of commitment with a lot of ambition and a lot of desire to be the best and to do things in a good way and to be the biggest and the largest. Uh, but at some point, you're like, okay, we've done that. Now we just want to make sure that we are solid. And so then you start looking at other things like, how can we be solid? You know, building a strong organization, making sure that you're not only a renewable energy company, but whatever you're doing, you're doing it in a sustainable way. So walking the talk, then looking at the future, where is the future going? Is the renewable sector becoming digital? What role is AI going to have? How can we leverage it? How can we save costs? How can we innovate? And all of those things, you know, when you think in that way, when you think out of the box, all these things seem normal. And then you kind of are so convinced that you're able to convince your board, your stakeholders, you're able to build a team, invest and make things happen. That's the only way I look at it. I mean, it's just a question of uh, being able to I think, think a little bit out of the box and, and, and that becomes a way of life. At the same time, you have to remain solid as a, at the core of what you're doing. So. Mm-hmm. In terms of this digital initiative, can you talk a little bit exactly about what this initiative entails? Sure. So as you know, we've also, you know, I don't know if you know, we've acquired a, a company as well, Climate Climate Connect. Yes, Climate Connect. And so the idea is basically to look at a lot of the work we are doing and to be able to look at use cases and ensure that we just do whatever we are doing, we can use technology to be able to do things more effectively, to leverage it, and to be able to save costs, to be able to identify ways of ensuring that there are greater efficiencies in what we are doing. So eventually in the long term, you not only can do things more effectively, I guess, save, save money in when, when you're running projects and initiatives. And 
also being able to leverage technology and thereby you know reduce reliance on kind of manpower and rely more on technology to monitor and to report and so on and so forth so that's very important for us you know i mean we can lose millions of dollars if a small switch goes off or you know if there is a little misalignment in turbine blade and things like that so there's lots of use cases we've listed and we're working with mckinsey uh, we have a lab i wish you could have gone into work to see we have a little digital lab we have our rpdc center where you can actually monitor remotely all the work which is happening on our sites and to be able to monitor things real time but then to use that data to do a lot more as i said and to kind of be able to work with algorithms and you know various other uh, sort of ai techniques and tools to increase efficiencies in our performance plf etc so working on sustainability so it's not only about an excel tracker or anything it's about how can we engage with the dna of every department in a systematic way by using technology and digitalization to ensure that we can apply a certain model across the organization Let's zoom out for a second to listen to a conversation I had with Anand Gupta regarding the Climate Connect acquisition, which he led as a core member of our news strategy team. Let's hear what Anand has to say. It seems that Renew is always ahead of the curve. For example, Renew is the first company in India to have round-the-clock renewable energy and is now investing in a two gigawatt manufacturing plant at what seems to be like the ideal time. So yeah. I'm just curious to ask you, from your own experience working at Renew for these past few years, what would you say differentiates Renew and allows it to innovate in this way? Well, I think it boils down from the entrepreneurial spirit of, of the founder, CEO, chairman of the company. And I feel like you know the fact that he was an early mover in the renewable sector in india starting you know i think 2008 when he was the chief operating officer of suzlon and then he started the you know started renew power i think in 2011 and this is before the sector mushroomed so he was in the right place at the right time and he uh, was able to have you know the support of very high quality investors like goldman sachs and the abu dhabi sovereign wealth fund and, among others Right, so the the fact that he raised this large amount of capital in anticipation of the sector opening up, and the fact that the sector opened up, and you know we executed really well in the first few years of the sector once the sector started blooming, and I think that kind of put the company in the driver's seat, and that's where sort of the entrepreneurial dynamism of the of the you know promoter of the company comes into play. because he's just been relentless as far as the bread and butter execution of the company is concerned but he's also been relentless in ensuring that no opportunity sort of falls by the wayside you know as we kind of scale up our renewable energy operations so you know whether it's on proactively finding new markets outside of india whether it's on battery storage on solar manufacturing on offshore wind and, and other such opportunities i think he's been uh, Uh, fairly visionary and has executed well on in, in all of these areas and of course you know some of these areas haven't really worked out so for example offshore wind and this is you know like a publicly known fact offshore wind continues to be expensive in india today right yet renew is one of the few companies that has actually invested in sort of recording wind speeds off the coasts of gujarat and tamil nadu and these are 
Now, these are very costly affairs in like the millions of dollars just to do the testing. And Renew has done the testing, right? So even though we might not see returns from an experiment like this today, we're out there, we're doing this sort of stuff. So it just goes to show the, the entrepreneurial dynamism of, of Sumanth and his core team. I see. I see. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. So with yeah. regards to the recent Climate Connect acquisition, which is a deal I know you were leading over the past year, I'd like to ask you two questions about this acquisition. First, can you talk about what Climate Connect does and how it fits in with Renew's strategy? And secondly, yeah. can you give some insights into what the acquisition process looked like? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So Climate Connect uh, you know, is about a 45-member company. They, they operate out of New Delhi and Pune, but their primary tech center is in Pune. And these guys have they've been doing rapid experimentation for the last many years. I think they, they started their company in 2011. And they started their company as basically carbon traders for the California carbon market. And, you know, they've quickly sort of evolved from doing California carbon trading to a bunch of other things. But most recently, over the last four or five years, they found a foothold for themselves, you know, in the Indian electrical, uh, electricity and power market sector. So what they do in India is they sort of assist independent power producers. So companies like Renew, you know, companies that own and operate renewable energy assets. So they've assisted companies like this in coordinating with the grid in what's called scheduling and forecasting. Right. So essentially, uh, to better integrate the variable nature of renewables into the, into the electricity grid, uh, what grid operators do is they basically uh, they require owners and operators of renewable energy projects to, in advance, tell the grid operators how much electricity they expect to generate and ship to the grid so that the grid can therefore manage all the different sources of energy that are being sent into the grid and deliver stable power to end customers. So Climate Connect facilitates that process for uh, power developers and, and renewable energy project owners. And they do forecasting, they do scheduling, and they do essentially coordinate and communicate with the grid as far as that is concerned. Now, in addition to that, they also have a suite of products for uh, Indian distribution companies, uh, basically electricity distribution companies you know, called DISCOMs. So DISCOMs are basically the utilities of India. You know, they're regional monopolies, typically owned by state government, but in some cases also by private, uh, by private enterprise. And they have, uh, so Climate Connect basically creates software solutions, forecasting solutions, using big data applications for such customers in, in order to help these customers better sort of manage their backend processes. So I can get into you know, more examples of how this works if you're interested. But that's the suite of services that uh, Climate Connect provides to you know, energy generators and energy distributors. And for Renew, uh, you know, the reason why this made a lot of sense to us is one, of course, you know, we are energy generators and we have pretty large scheduling and forecasting bills. So we feel like it's good if we can insource this capability. But in addition to that, you know, we, we'd like to get a larger foothold in the overall electricity value chain in India. And Climate Connect seems like a great platform to do that, where we can provide services and value-added services to distribution companies beyond just supplying them with electrons, right? So if we can help them sort of manage their software, their, you know, their processes at the back end, like that's value-added service. And that's also, you know, that kind of helps us keep abreast of how the power sector as a whole is going to evolve in India in the future. So that's really how it kind of fits into the scheme of things for us. 
Now we will transition back to listen to my conversation with Ms. Vishali Sinha. In terms of like the early days, I know you were a key member of the Renew founding team, of course. So you did mention the Goldman Sachs investments. Did that come about like prior to Renew having any projects? And could you talk a little bit about how that investment came about? Because just from my research and conversations, I've I found out that was like a very key inflection point. And, you know, as you've probably done quite a lot of research, you've spoken to a bunch of people. So you probably know that, you know, the wind space, it wasn't really a sector. You know, you had high net worth individuals who were investing in these turbines for uh, tax purposes, right? So that's what it was. In fact, when Sumant left to, you know, start this venture, you know, we had a lot of friends in uh, Bombay, that's where we lived at that time. And they were like, what do you, you know, I mean, what, what, what is the business opportunity there? So really, you know, whenever people ask this, you know, both month and I would always say, oh, great. Well, that means it is an opportunity because people don't understand it as yet, right? And so that's when you get into uh, space. Uh, at that time in 2009-10, because there were so many ideas floating around retail, financial services, et cetera, et cetera, we were looking at various opportunities. And the one thing I think we were very aware of was that it should not be an opportunity which is already being tried and tested. So you have to get into an area where there is scope to kind of uh, build the idea and get it out. Then be the first uh, sort of uh, mover in the space. So in a way, it was like, okay, fine, nobody knows about it. Well, okay, fine, we have to explain it, but that's probably good news. So what in the beginning, uh, the idea wasn't understood even by investors. They were like, okay, it's too small a venture for private equity type players, it's too large uh, a capital requirement for VC type of investors. So we were still you know, kind of stuck somewhere in between when we went to pitch for funding. And you know, as you know, renewables is a very capital intensive area. Mm-hmm. So that was something which I remember is being pretty significant. You know, we really didn't know, you know, so we knocked the doors of a lot of investors, private equity, venture capital. Uh, in the corporate strategics who were looking at the space as well. So, and, you know, eventually GS was the one who had experienced success in the United States in an investment, in a similar type of an investment. So they were familiar and they knew that there was an opportunity. And, you know, at that time, uh, we were in the process of putting up our first project. So to answer your question, did we have a large portfolio? No, but we were in the process of getting one project ready and we had a plan, uh, a growth plan and a funding requirement. And GS wanted to put in a multiple of that just to give you, I mean, uh, just a sense of uh, the interest which existed once they knew that uh, we knew what we were talking about and we had been able to convince them that the opportunity exists in India. And once they were on the other side of the fence, in our side of the fence, things were then, you know, they were like, okay, we want to do more. And as you know, they came in with the first round of funding and the second round of funding. When mm-hmm. they came in, we, of course, built our presence and then got other investors who came in as well. And then the green wave sort of picked up in 2014 yeah. and Prime Minister Modi came in and, you know, he was committed and he was the one who uh, in, uh, inaugurated the first wind farm in first time in Gujarat and um, he was a CM then and not the Prime Minister. And so it's always good. He'd seen us as young, aggressive, ambitious entrepreneurs who wanted to do things the right way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, I'm not sure whether it helped or not, but it was encouraging for us to have uh, a leader who was committed, as you've seen in other parts of the world, uh, the parts of the world you come from. You know, it makes a huge difference when you have a leader who's committed and a leader who's not committed. But at the end of the day, on the ground, it's you know you have to fight the battles, and the battles will, you know, are unending. You know, there are lots of challenges regarding regulatory issues, you know, land acquisition, the legal framework, which did not exist. So, you know, we're just carving the way mm-hmm. and making sure that you know, people understood that there was need for consistency and sustainability of policies because, you know, if you have investors uh, interested in an area, you know, you have to stay committed and you have to stay the course. So just hand-holding the policymakers at the state and the center you know, explaining to the fund providers, you know, the challenges, just just basically, uh, you know, kind of writing the sort of the Bible for uh, the sector on, on how we could develop it in India. I think a lot of us together as a team had to, had, had to keep doing in our earlier days. Um, so, yeah, so it was a very kind of engaged journey. And I think one thing Sumant always says to the viewers all the time that, he was clear about a couple of things. He was very clear about how he wanted to do this business. And, you know, businesses are done in different ways. Um, you know, in India, it's challenging, but he wanted to do, run a clean energy business in a clean way. That was his uh, primary goal. And we were all uh, very clear about that. So that, that really, I think it's, that's when I think about three years, four years down the road, he figured that this is just not only value creation and not only a business, we were, Kind of going, but we were kind of doing something which was really good for you know the world at large, the planet, the next generation, and all sorts of things. And that motivated us also to do more and just to see the increase by investors. It was motivating, but then again, the challenges and the battles continued. You know, where one government put a U-turn on policy because of change in the government and so on and so forth. And those things were very disruptive, but, um, you know, obviously you have to keep pushing and, you know, I think that's one thing about uh, entrepreneurship, you know, you just have to never give up, give up. you just have to be at it, at it, at it, and that still gives an entrepreneur the differentiation from, I think, just being, I guess, a management person in a company versus having your own venture. Yeah. That is something that stood out in the journey. Yeah, I'm really curious to ask you because I know you work a lot on just through my conversations with entrepreneurs in the rural areas and the initiatives that you've led, like the Lighting Lives and the ReWin program. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to ask what the foundation's plans are for these programs moving forward. Sure, sure. So, you know, so we started our CSR engagement by working in, you know, villages around our sites. And that was a natural thing to do to ensure people who are around our sites. Just, you know, there was a there was a feeling amongst the locals that, you know, we're taking something away from them because, you know, the electricity, the clean energy wasn't being used by them, right? It was being fed into the grid. And so... We just engaged with them to make sure we were adding value to their lives in different ways. And we would do a bit of a survey, understand 
the gap areas and work on those areas from a social uh, economic point of view. So that was for the first two years what we did. But eventually, as we grew, we figured that we could probably do a more synergistic uh, program where we could use renewable energy and make sure that the children and the women in the neighborhoods benefited from it. They understood what it is. What does it do? What does it do for the, uh, for the planet? And also convert the younger generation into advocates, right? Because it was going to impact them the most. And uh, so that's how we started the Lighting Lives program. The idea was that there's a large part of India where schools get less than three hours of uh, electricity per day, right? Almost no electricity in many parts of the country, especially around where our sites are as well. So the plan was basically to put a rooftop and ensure that at least in a hot 46 degrees centigrade day, when children go to school, they at least have a fan so that their educational experience can be better. And when they know the story behind that fan, they probably get interested to know about the science of it, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's how a Lighting Lives program began. How can we engage students? How can they learn more about the science of renewable energy, how can they become curious, then use the renewable energy to set up uh, digital labs in some of these schools so that they could have after-school classes for remedial education or for you know coding and other sorts of activities. And so just helping them firsthand experience the value of renewables and the harm the sort of non-renewable energy does to the planet. So just a little bit of education around that. In fact, it is in that context, I was engaged with Barefoot as well, and we are actually going to be doing a few things together. Um, so yeah, so, so that is our Lighting Lives program. But as we do that, we know that in the rural area, it's usually a community engagement. So if we work either with women or with children, it's not very effective unless you can engage the entire family. So what we also do is that once school is over, we have these sort of after-school hours where once a week or twice a week, we bring in the women for self-help group programs. Some of them are entrepreneurial in nature. Then we bring in the fathers for farming-related workshops and various other programs. Then children do what I just mentioned earlier, you know, a little bit of digital learning and, you know, remedial classes, et cetera. And then, then in this way, we convert the entire community into believers and advocates of renewable energy. So that's our Lighting Lives program. And then there is a ReWin program, which is social entrepreneurship in rural areas. We've seen that women in rural areas are extremely confident and strong set of women. And once you are able to get them on your side, they can really make the impossible possible. But a few things matter to them. One is that, you know, I've seen they often get intimidated by people who, you know, like if I'm a city woman, I'm going and trying to convert them. They're not, they're not really interested, but you have to connect with them and you have to show them mentors who uh, are like them. And, and, and they have to believe that what they do what they understand they can do and what they do can help them become uh, economically self-reliant, right? So that local angle is important for them. 
So understanding this, we started our Reven program where we engage women entrepreneurs, I mean women, not entrepreneurs, and convert them into entrepreneurs or entice them into understanding how they can become entrepreneurs. So it's like a one and a half year program where we start with about four, five hundred women and we, you know, sort of engage with them. We bring in mentors and various successful women from their parts of the world, like from the banking sector, from like nonprofit organizations and various other civil sort of society organizations to uh, talk to them about different ideas, which makes sense in their areas. It could be haldi making, it could be uniform stitching, it could be things like that, small entrepreneurial activities. And uh, we talk to them about funding and financing and having their own bank account and then market linkages, et cetera. And then, so we run this program with the help of NGOs, et cetera. And then we shortlist five women who we fund for the next level, for the next year, where they become sort of set up their ventures. Obviously they go through a screening process, selection process, and then they run their projects and then they become role models and mentors in their communities. And then they sort of, we've just done, we're in the third year, so we're going to see how this pans out. COVID's been a bit disruptive, but then they go and ensure that other women also join this sort of uh, journey. So that's our Reven program. Our first set of Reven women were invited by the United Nations in Delhi at a program to talk about their journey. And it was very inspiring to see the confidence they get when they get this attention and they they feel successful and they get support from their family members and spouses to go and you know become entrepreneurs so we've done this in a lot of our sites six seven of our sites we started in Maharashtra now we have presence in Madhya Pradesh uh, in Karnataka in Telangana so these are the areas where we are uh, ensuring we are partnering with the rural livelihood mission to engage uh, women, so, you know, we have in UP, we have about 50 plus self-help group women where they are working uh, on various projects around farming, around small handicraft, around, you know, various other activities. So small steps, but like but the, the really interesting thing and the part which I'm really excited about is uh, again about women in energy, but this is a larger program. So what I talked about, Reven, is in uh, rural India, but uh, I, we are going to be partnering with United Nations Development Program, UNDP, to come up with a uh, women's accelerator program for women in energy. So we're going to be working with uh, engineers from IIT, etc., and various other women who are entrepreneurs and are setting up uh, renewable energy-related ventures, like whether it is programming, whether it is uh, battery storage or whatever. And we are going to mentor and support them. And so that's a very interesting, cool platform. I'm also associated with the United States, the USISPF, where we are trying to, and I lead the South Asian Women in Energy chapter. And we are, you know, we're just making sure that we can get more women engaged, even at Renew and other organizations. We need more women in senior positions. So I'm also working to make sure we can attract more women. So we're trying to set up a portal where interesting opportunities for senior management positions are posted where women can apply. And I think people misunderstand the renewable space as being a hardcore infra space. And so there's a little bit of intimidation about it. We want to kind of clarify that. 
And I, I do believe that we can do with many more women in renewable energy businesses. And you know, I'm sure the businesses would be way more successful with more women there. So we're trying to, I'm trying to do my bit there as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was actually, you answered my next question. And this is my very final, just like one minute answer, because I know you have to go, but I'm really excited to hear your response to this. So just reflecting back on your whole professional journey and also personal journey, and maybe thinking back to the time when you were a recent college graduate, what, what is some piece of advice that you would give to your younger self or to someone like me or even a younger woman entrepreneur who is interested in getting involved in the renewable energy space? And I'm just curious as to hear any piece of advice you would give to the younger generation particularly. I mean, I, I would just say that it's, it's an amazing, I think you guys are very lucky. You have so many options. You know, when we started working, there were only two or three options and you had to get in there and it was very competitive. Now it's still very competitive, but there are many more options and renewables is a pretty solid option. It's really what I hear, and I'm not saying what I feel, what I hear other millennials and, you know, youngsters talking to me about is more about how fulfilling it is to work in this area. And when you work, you really need to enjoy what you do. That's really important. And if you feel fulfilled, it's really not a very common feeling at the workplace. You're just doing often things because you want to make money, you want to be successful, you want to go and do that MBA, you want to do this and that. I think renewables is a place which is a, a sector which is very rewarding to a young woman. I would say humongous amounts of opportunities to women out there. I'd also say that challenge yourself is, you know, I mean, obviously STEM is important, but I also want to say non-STEM related opportunities are in plenty uh, in the renewable energy space. So look at it. It's, there's lots of opportunities. Entrepreneurship is also there are a lot of ancillary opportunities coming up, lots of opportunities in the supply chain. So study it and do what you're doing. I mean, you're quite a role model. So maybe <laughs> you can right. the word. So yeah, yeah, it's an amazing space. And I think you've, you've really taken a good decision of, you know, kind of spending time experiencing what you did. COVID, no COVID doesn't matter. But we'll be happy to have you back to spend some real time at Renew. Thank okay. you so much. Thank okay. you so much for your time. So appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And do check out the show notes for more information on my guest. See you next time.